0: Good morning. Uh, Welcome to Kirkpatrick Memorial to this online service. Uh, If I'm counting these services uh, properly and correctly, I think this is number 39. Who would have thought? This week, as we move deep into the Advent season, I've been thinking of Anna. Luke tells her story in the second chapter of his Gospel. There was also a prophet, Anna. The daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them, that is Mary and Joseph and their baby, at that very moment She gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Anna has spent her life worshipping, fasting, praying. She represents, says Luke, all of those who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. And now she gets to meet Jesus. Let's join Anna and all those who've ever hungered for God's redemption. Let's look to Jesus. Let us pray. Jesus, we do want to turn our eyes to you. You're the author of creation. You brought light out of the darkness. You brought order to the chaos. You replaced the emptiness with your fullness and your life. Jesus, we confess that we've done a lot to mess up your creation, to return our lives in this world to a place of emptiness and of darkness and chaos. Forgive us for the things that we have done this week to undo your creation. Thank you, Lord, that no matter how much our sin Your grace is always more. Thank you for your forgiveness. Lord, today we're like old Anna. We're waiting for you, not for your first coming. You've come and you've rescued the world by your death on the cross. We celebrate that. But we long for your fuller coming to us. We want more of you in our lives. Come, Lord Jesus, finish then thy new creation pure and spotless. Let us be. Lord, don't just restore us. Come and restore this tired old world. Come and be true to your word. Behold, I am making all things new. Lord, keep us longing. For your redemption this week and this Advent season. Amen. As you may know, if you've been with us, uh, we've been studying the life of Abraham this autumn term, reading the narratives recorded there in Genesis. This morning, uh, rather than reading from Genesis, I'm going to do something a little bit different. I'm going to read from the account in Hebrews 11 where the writer has created a hall of fame of those who have lived by faith. In his long list, in his hall of fame, he gives center stage to Abraham. So reading from Hebrews 11. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith. whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful, who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars of the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. By faith, Abram, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so, In a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. This is the word of God. Abram experienced many trials and tests throughout his life. He allowed those to draw him closer to God. We'll experience trials and tests too if we continue to journey with Jesus Let's pray, as we sing this next song, that they will draw us nearer to him. I'd like to begin by telling you a little about what's going on in my life these days, Uh, sharing a little of my own interior world, uh, reflecting on the moment that I find myself in. The exercise isn't intended to be narcissistic. I will share what I'm going to share uh, and how I'm thinking about my life in order to invite you to be thinking about yours. I'm 48 years old now and unless I defy the odds that means that more than half of my life is behind me and a a smaller fraction lies ahead. It means that I can't really put off anymore the idea that I am middle-aged. There we go, I've said it. As I've reflected on my own experience of the middle years so far, and as I've observed the lives of those around me, I've come to the conclusion that being middle-aged isn't easy. Beginning to understand what C.S. Lewis was talking about in the Screwtip letters, when he had Screwtip, that knowledgeable superior devil uh, advising Wormwood, his junior, That when it comes to leading people away from God, uh, Screwtip says, The long, dull, monotonous years of middle-aged prosperity or middle-aged adversity are excellent campaigning weather. If Lewis is right, then we should expect Satan to be having a field day with us in our middle years. I sense that he may have a point It's all got me thinking about my life and asking myself some big questions. Where is my life going? What am I becoming? Will I get to be one of the good guys who grows in the likeness of Jesus right until the end? What will my story be? As I say, those are the questions that I'm grappling with just now. But I'm sharing them with you because I'd like to invite you... To ask yourself the same questions. Where is my life going? What am I becoming? Will I get to be one of the good guys who grows in the likeness of Jesus right until the end? What will my story be? The reason I'm inviting you to take this zoomed out wide angle look at your life today is because we've reached the end of the life that we've been looking at in God's word the last three months, uh, that is the life of Abraham, as recorded in Genesis. Last week we looked at Genesis 22, uh, the dramatic climax of Abraham's life. You'll remember how God tested him in the most severe way imaginable. And you'll remember how Abraham passed the test. God pronounced his verdict when he said, Now I know that you fear God. Because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham has learned finally to live by faith. Although chapter 22 gives us the dramatic climax of Abraham's life, his story runs on through chapters 23 and 24 until we read of his death in the opening verses of chapter 25. It's a quite beautiful picture that emerges of Abraham in these last chapters. Let me show you just a few highlights. Abram is a loving husband, dignified in his grief. We're told of Sarah's death in chapter 23, and we're told that he went to mourn for Sarah and to weep over her. Despite the repeated uh, attempts of local landowners to give him a, a burial ground, free of charge, he insists on paying the going rate. Sarah is his precious wife. He wants to honour her appropriately. Abram's also a generous father. We're told in the opening verses of chapter 24 that Abram was now very old and the Lord had blessed him in every way. When Abram's servant is describing his master's household, in verse 35 of the same chapter, he says, The Lord has blessed my master abundantly, and he has become wealthy. He has given him sheep and cattle, silver and gold, male and female servants, and camels and donkeys. Abram's a wealthy guy. But notice what he does with his wealth. In chapter 25, we read, verse 5, Abram left everything they owned to Isaac. But while he was still living, he gave gifts to the sons of his concubines and sent them away from his son Isaac to the land of the east. Abram used his wealth to give generously to all in his household and to help create a stable legacy for his son. It would that every estate was settled as amicably as Abraham's. He's a loving husband. He's a generous father, but most of all, he's a spiritual leader. Chapter 24 goes to to great lengths to tell us about the trouble Abraham goes to in order to ensure that his son Isaac continues in the covenant he's made with God. On the one hand, he, he sends his servant a long way back to his family in order to get a wife for Isaac, someone who will share his values and his spiritual priorities. On the other hand, when the servant asks what he should do if the woman won't come back to Canaan with him, Abram says, make sure that you do not take my son back there. I've answered God's call. When he said leave, I left. When he said go, I went. And now that we're in the land that we've been promised, we're not going to leave. Make sure you don't take my son back there. Abram's a spiritual leader. He does everything in his power to ensure that his son Isaac walks in his ways by faith in the living God. It's wonderful how Abram's story ends. He does turn out to be one of the good guys, growing right to the end, learning to live more and more by faith in the living God, the God who calls him friend. Now that we've conducted that quick survey of chapters 23 to 25 and we've seen how well Abram's story ends, we're going to spend the rest of our time looking back over his life to see how he got to where he did. We're going to notice two things. The part that Abram plays and the part that God plays. Let's notice first the part that Abram plays. If you only met Abram, In these final years of his life, you might think that he's simply one of the good guys. Always has been, always will be. This life of faith, second nature to him, comes easy to him. But we know, because we've read the whole story of his life, that there's a lot more to it than that. There's more going on under the surface. People of great faith are usually people who've endured intense struggles and deep sorrows. They've come through challenges and they've, that have consumed their heart and their strength. Abram's difficulties begin as soon as he says yes to God, and leaves home for a place that he doesn't even know. He then runs into all sorts of troubles with his nephew Lot. He struggled for years and decades to come to terms with the barrenness of his marriage. His second wife. And the son born to her, they only serve to add complexity in his life. And finally, he underwent the severest test of all when God asked him to sacrifice the son that he'd longed for all his life. We've noticed throughout this series that Abram learns to live by faith and that he's known in the New Testament as the father of those who have faith. But what we maybe didn't account for is how hard earned this reputation was. It was through real life-shaking struggles that he got to this point. He grew his faith in the soil of tough times while watching God move and direct him in loving and unexpected ways. Let me pause here for a moment and ask you a question. It's a question that's been in the background throughout this whole series, really, Uh, but let's bring it now into the foreground. Do you want to be a person of faith? Are you willing to pursue God, whatever the cost? Can you learn to trust Him no matter how hard your circumstances become? To believe, as we said last week, that God is not and will never be your adversary. Do you want to learn to live by faith? We need to keep this question about trusting God with our difficulties always before us. Because today and this week and this month and this year, they're all we have got. Every hour of every day We're writing the words and the sentences, the next pages and paragraphs of the stories of our lives. Every decision I make and every action I undertake today determines who I'm becoming. C.S. Lewis put it well in Mere Christianity when he warns, every time you make a choice, you are turning the central part of you into something a little different than it was before. The beautiful old Abram we see at the end of this story is the natural outcome of all his days and all his ways throughout his long life. So far today we've seen that Abram's story ends well. We've seen the part that Abram's played. He's grown his faith in the soil of tough times staying close enough to God to experience his gracious care. But there's more to Abram's life and to your life and mine than that. Let's notice in finishing the part that God plays. God has utterly transformed this man. Do you remember how he was when we first met him? He was the kind of guy who lied repeatedly, to save his own skin with no regard for his wife's honour. It seems that he lacked moral judgment, that he was far too anxious about his own personal security. Abram was vulnerable to the wrong kinds of pressure, so it was on his wife's insistence that he fathered a child with her maid, Hagar. And then, when Sarah reacted badly to Hagar's pride in her pregnancy, he allowed Sarah to drive Hagar from the family home. The Abram we meet in these early episodes of the story clearly isn't a man of principle. He doesn't seem to have a strong sense of responsibility. This is the Abram we meet before he spent much time in the classroom of life with the wisest and most loving teacher of all. The lesson Abram needed to learn more than any other was to live before God. To see that all of life is under God, to understand that none of life makes sense without reference to God. There's a lovely phrase in Latin that I've come across over the years that captures this idea, Coram Deo. It means in the presence of God or before the face of God. Through the rough and tumble of normal everyday life, God's teaching Abram to live. Coram Deo. You might remember Abraham's earlier struggles to know that God would protect him and provide for him. In his grace, God shows him that he will be his protector and provider. In fact, God says as much in the opening verses of chapter 15 when he says, Do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield, your very great reward. In chapter 17, God makes explicit his invitation to walk Coram Deo when he says, walk before me. Again and again, God confronted Abram with himself and led him to the point where Abram would say in his heart what the psalmists would say centuries later. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. As the story proceeds, we see signs that Abram is really learning to live before God. The old weaknesses sometimes reappear, but alongside them there emerges a new nobility and a new independence. This is the outworking of Abram's developed habit of walking with God, of resting in God's will that's been revealed to him, of relying on God, of waiting for him, of bowing to his providence, obeying him even when the command seems entirely irrational and unconventional and costly. Abram's come a long way from being a man of the world to being a man of God. We've said that he's a new man. Throughout the story, we've seen a a new meekness in him. Do you remember how he declined his rights uh, when the land share with Lot was happening? We see a new courage. He sees off 3,000 or sorry sees off with a mere 300 men the armies of the combined armies of four kings we see a new dignity he refuses the booty from a victory in battle in case anyone imagines that it was the king of Sodom rather than God most High who made him rich we see a new patience he waits for a quarter of a century from the age of 75 to the age of a 100, for the birth of his promised heir. We've seen him become a man of prayer, pleading with God for those whose morality was much, much worse than his, but praying too for those whose morality exceeded his. And we see him in the end so utterly devoted to God's will, so confident that God knows what he's doing, that because God asks it, He's willing to kill his own son, the heir for whose birth he'd been waiting so long. Abraham has been in the classroom of life. His heavenly father has been his teacher and his guide. How well Abraham's learned his lessons. We've thought today about the story of Abraham's life, how it ended well, Abram's part in it, and now God's part in it. As we finish, I want to come back to you, to the story of your life. I want to remind you that Abram's story here is recorded for our benefit. The the same gracious, wise God who was leading Abram's life back then is at work in our lives today. We shouldn't be surprised then if God allows us to face trials or if he actively puts tests in our way as he did with Abram. You see, God is at work in us too, in the real circumstances of our lives, to make something of us. What's he up to in these hard times that he's bringing us through? Well, that depends on who we are and on what we need. Maybe he wants to strengthen us in patience and good humour, compassion or humility, And he wants to do that by giving us some extra practice in these virtues in some especially difficult circumstances. Maybe he wants to teach us self-denial or wants us to be less sure of ourselves. Maybe he's working to shake us out of our complacency or some unreality that we're living in. Maybe he's at work to rid us of some undetected pride or conceit. Maybe he's bringing us through these hard times simply to bring us back to him closer to himself. Isn't it often the case that we're more open to God when we're experiencing trials than when life is too easy? It's not always clear what the precise purpose of our trials is, what the purpose for God's testing is in any given moment. But one thing is clear. They can be for our good. In knowing God, J.I. Packer says of our difficulties, particularly the ones that we can't understand in the moment, they will have been sent to make us and keep us humble and to give us a new opportunity of showing forth the power of Christ in our mortal lives. And do we ever need to know more about them than that? Our struggles give us a chance to show Jesus. What could be better than that? So I ask you today, where is your life going? Do you want to be one of the good guys who grows in the likeness of Jesus right up until the end? Well, let's notice then that we're in the classroom of life. Let's see the good teacher and pay attention to his lessons and his tests. Let's trust him that his curriculum is for our good. And let's collaborate with him as he teaches us to live by faith. We're going to sing a song now that allows us to entrust ourselves to our wise teacher, In this song, we're reminded that he is guiding our way with his fatherly heart, growing our faith with each testing. Let's sing together. Merciful God. We're hoping to restart face-to-face services again next Sunday. So please look out in the weekly email for details about that. As things stand, the executive has given a green light for in-building services uh, for the foreseeable future. So we hope to be able to firm up our plans for the Christmas season in the next few days. Uh, What we're planning broadly is to host a number of carol services on Sunday the 20th of December in the afternoon, and then a couple of services on Christmas day Uh, So look out for updates and publicity uh, to share with your friends and family over the next few days. Look out as well in the email for a very particular invitation, and that is to join the Kirkpatrick Christmas Chorus. It's like a a virtual choir. Uh, If you're somebody who enjoys singing, if you've been part of previous choirs, or even if you haven't, have a look at that invitation in the email and see if you'd like to join in. Uh, we want to continue this Christmas season to remember people who have much less than we do. So look, look out in the email for opportunities to give. You can give to the Moderators Appeal, uh, to the Belfast City Mission Toy Appeal, and to Storehouse. Uh, thank you for that. We're going to take just a few moments now to pray for others we have some brothers and sisters in our church family who are going through particularly tough times at the moment. Uh, many of you will have heard by now that Lena Aiken, the two-year-old daughter of Alistair and Rachel, had surgery this week to remove a mass from her brain. We'll pray for the Aiken family. George Graham received a very difficult cancer diagnosis recently. He and Alice are currently waiting to learn about possible treatments, uh, but they're finding that the COVID situation makes this all very difficult. We'll pray for George and for Alice. We'll pray also for the moderator's appeal for our Christmas season here at Kirkpatrick and for the period of vacancy which lies ahead. Let's join together and let's pray. Father God, we are so glad that you are love. We're so glad that you love every man and woman and boy and girl. We know we can bring our friends and our family, our loved ones and our world to you. Hear us now as we pray. Father, we're grateful for Lena's successful surgery on Wednesday. We thank you for the recovery she's made so far be with we Lena bring her peace in place of distress be with Al and Rachel as they face the most trying uncertainties make them certain of your love for them and for Lena father we pray for George and Alice Thank you for them and for the gift that they are to our church family. Thank you for their desire to walk with you no matter what. May they know that even though they walk through the darkest valley, that you are with them. Please comfort them and let them experience your love in very special ways. Lord, we continue to pray for other members of our church family coming to terms with difficult diagnoses and trying circumstances. We pray that they'd be assured of your unfailing love these days. Father, we pray for the fragile and low-income nations of our world where the effects of the coronavirus pandemic have been seen with particular severity where healthcare systems have fallen apart, where unemployment is rife, where millions have been made refugees. Move us to be the answer to these prayers that we're praying. Move us to give to the moderator's appeal so that our church's partners in relief work will have the resources they need to help others in your need. Father, we pray for our own life and witness in this Christmas season. We pray that we may be able to gather, to sing your praise, to hear your word and to share the good news of Jesus with those who desperately need to hear. Finally, Lord, we pray for our congregation preparing for a period of vacancy. We thank you that Jesus is the head of this church. Thank you that he's building it even in these times. Help us all to trust him to do that. We pray, Lord, that you'll use the vacancy convener, Robert, the elders here, and all of us together, to work for your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we come to the end of this service, and the end of this series in the life of Abraham on living by faith, we're going to sing a song that we have sung before. It's Faithful One, So Unchanging. As we sing, we remember that our faith's effective not because of the quality of our faith, but because of the person of the God whom we trust, our Faithful One. There are a few versions of this song on YouTube that I could have chosen, but I found a very beautiful one and one that makes sense, I think, of what we've been thinking about here this morning. Brian Dorkson, who wrote this song over 30 years ago now, reimagines his classic. It's very powerful. Something about seeing a much older man, someone who by now has uh, written a lot of his life story, but he's still celebrating his faithful God. If you watch this through to the end, uh, let Brian's words act as our benediction. Faithful one, my hope is in you alone.
1: We are very excited to be starting Rooted Bible study in January. Since September, a few of us have been reading Jen Wilkin, Woman of the Word, to help us with our confidence in reading the Bible. And we have absolutely loved it. Before I read Woman of the Word, I would find myself skimming through a Bible passage, maybe being left with a few surface level questions, always waiting to hear from someone else about what it all meant. You know, I thought I was contented with my dip in and out of daily devotionals. Um, and really that was just skimming the surface. I knew I was supposed to be studying, but I didn't really know how to, where to start or what to do. I think probably, and I'm ashamed to say this, that I didn't love the Bible as I should have before I started engaging in this deeper level, level of
2: um, Bible study. This book gives some really good tools a toolbox at which you can think about how to apply the Bible, especially uh, Old Testament truths, but even New Testament truths, trying to understand just what it's all about.
1: Jen Wilkins' book, Women of the Word, has completely changed my whole approach to how I study the Bible and read God's Word. It has given me the tools I need to sit down and delve deeper into his word. And it has completely changed how I study the Bible now. Starting point is that we're called to love the Lord our God with all our heart and all our mind. And I think, yeah, definitely in 37 years, I've got to the first part of that. The heart bit was there, Um, but I think I had stopped at the mind but I thought that my mind was, well, when I was in school it was engaged with that, when I was in uni it
2: was engaged with that, um, that type of study and learning. This book really helps us to think about how to apply the Bible in real time, but in order to apply the Bible and its truth in real time, we have to understand how to really uh, know what the passage is about. For example, historical context, what it meant to the people of the day. And by understanding, for example, what it meant to the people of the day, it will help us to apply it to, to today's real world. It's
1: helped me to realise that the Bible is a book about God and not about me. And it's removed that stolen fear of feeling like, I don't know what to do or where to start. Those excuses, like not having the time, oh, well, sure, I'm not wise enough, how can I interpret this? Um, now, actually, I love to take the time to do it. Um, it's some of the most enjoyable parts of my week. I would definitely recommend Women in Kirkpatrick to read this book. It's a very easy book to read. It sets out a lot of very useful tools. And for me, it has transformed how I read my Bible. It helps keep your focus on God as you work through and seek to learn understand
2: God's word for yourself we have really really enjoyed it um, so I trust that you will take up this book and use it and it will be beneficial to you as well we are living in
1: just uncertain times there's so much that's unstable and changing all the time and the fact that we can come. God's word that is never changing. The one thing that we can rely on and this what well then there's no better time to start doing this. Kirkpatrick has reserved 40 copies of Women of the Word from the Bookwell on the Belmont Road and they've kindly given us a 20% discount. As you know they've had to close their doors for this new lockdown but we got in there just in time. So if you'd like to um, get a copy for yourself or maybe for someone else, perhaps for Christmas, um, email us at this address.